congratulations on being on the right side of history. Is it really a done deal? The new plan to finally honor Dr. King in Kansas City. Will big sports and big business boycott Kansas over new election and transgender restrictions? Just one more layer of disrespect, of insult. For the first time in months, no tents and tops outside of City Hall and Westport. Is the problem finally fixed? Missouri moving forward with plans to ban businesses from requiring proof of vaccinations. And first it was toilet paper. Now a shortage of a tiny chip devastating Kansas City's auto industry. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead on Week in Review. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Corley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome everyone, I'm Nick Haynes, and thank you for joining us on this journey through the news of our week, connecting the dots on the week's most impactful local news stories. Lisa Rodriguez, former City Hall reporter, now news director at KCUR-FM. From KNBC 9 News, chief political reporter Michael Mahoney, the editor of The Call newspaper, Eric Wesson, and from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard finally returning to Kansas City 18 months after voters stripped the name of the slain civil rights leader from a Kansas City street. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. The resolution is adopted. Congratulations on being on the right side of history. On behalf of the people of Kansas City, I think we see one of the most beautiful Martin Luther King Jr. boulevards we have in the country. The boulevard Mayor Lucas is talking about is a winding five-mile stretch of road that goes from Brookside to I-435 on Kansas City's east side. And confusingly, bears three names at different points along the way, Volker Boulevard, Spoke Parkway, and Blue Parkway. There was agreement before on this, on renaming the Paseo after Dr. King, if you remember, at least until voters rejected the name change at the ballot box. Can we expect a voter challenge to this change too, Lisa? I, I don't anticipate a voter challenge to, to this change as well. The process in this in this scenario was totally different from the last time that, that that we went through this process where people, you know, where the city council decided to bypass asking residents who lived on the Paseo whether they wanted this change. I think that this thoroughfare is different. They took their time. They had community engagement sessions. And then another key point is that there's not quite as many residential uh, areas along this stretch so people don't have to go through the process of changing their address and, and all of these other kind of paperwork things. I think I have a feeling this idea will be welcomed and embraced. But Eric, this is about changing not just one name like the Paseo. This is actually three streets. It's even more complicated, right? Yeah, it's a little complicated and it'll be interesting to see the rebranding of the shops on Blue Parkway now to the shops on MLK and what effect that will have on those businesses. I, I uh, echo the sentiments of most people in the community when we're saying we're glad this is finally over with. Can we move on 53 years later? So uh, hopefully this will be it. Is it finally over, Michael? Yeah, I agree with uh, uh, Lisa uh, on this. I, be I, I believe it is. My personal preference was always 63rd Street and uh, this 
moves in that direction, although it's not uh, not 63rd. Um, but there there were hearings uh, from the park board. That was one of the issues uh, the first time around. There wasn't citizen input. Um, I think this probably resolves it. This is not just the only change, though, that we might be seeing, uh, Dave Helling. You know, uh, uh, six months ago, the Parks Board was ch charged by Mayor Quinton Lucas to also come up with a list of any street name or monument in Kansas City uh, that would have any connection to slavery or people who were demeaning others through racism. Whatever happened to that? Well, I think that process, uh, Nick, is still underway as far as we understand it. And there will be other opportunities and other discussions for name changes that might be more appropriate for the 21st century and less appropriate for the 19th or 20th centuries. Um, in this case, I have heard a little bit of grumbling that the new Martin Luther King Boulevard reaches the edge of the plaza, basically, and then sort of peters out. And there's some concern, and I think Mike just talked about this a little bit, because the whole idea of 63rd Street is it seems to be a little bit more state line uh, to the river uh, uh, it, it, had they chosen that route, but they did not. So I think I agree with the panel that for the most part, the discussion of this has come to an end after three very, very difficult years. I want to do a flashback on another story, because some stories just keep coming up again. Let's do the flashback on this. Remember this scene from six months ago when the mayor and top leaders dramatically converged on the steps of City Hall to say enough is enough and there's a brand new plan to prevent escalating violence in Kansas City. Thank you all so much for being here today. Violence in Kansas City is a public health epidemic. We all want this to change. We do not want the shooters um, in our city being as active as they are. I mean, it's um, night after night. We recognize that we can no longer operate in silos and that we're taking this conversation directly to the community. So for those keeping score, that was six months ago. And you were there six months ago watching that, reporting on that, Lisa Rodriguez, as you were the City Hall reporter. What happened? Did anything change? Were you expecting more progress than we've seen? Well, I, I think it's funny that for for the amount of fanfare that that announcement uh, had at its at its rollout, we haven't seen much much fanfare of, of 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 kind of markers of progress there. And clearly, we're still struggling with violent crime in the city. Now, no one expected it to be resolved in in six months. And I think on on some of the fronts, you know, early on, the city council did take steps to kind of. Uh, you know, change some governmental process, make small tweaks to the code. But a lot of the issues remain. You know, we, we're still seeing tension between the prosecutor and the police chief in clearing cases. We're still seeing high homicide rates. So it's, I think the, the jury is still out. And if they're continuing to do this, this work, it's been doing, it's been done a lot more quietly. Did anything change, Eric? No, nothing really changed. Uh, I believe that and I went through, I just finished my editorial for this week. And one of the things that I researched was we've had a violent crime commission panels in 2005 to 2006, 2011 to 2013. And then we had another one that had uh, that Mayor James had put into place. And then we had a violent crime commission that was attached to the health department. So my question is, what is this group going to do that none of the other groups have? You have the same players. And this one has a different dynamic in it because it has uh, the chief of police and the prosecutor that don't really like each other or their departments. So what is this group going to do that the other groups haven't done? 
You never implemented any of the things that the other task force have brought forward other than I think like one or two people were hired. But as far as implementing anything, nothing has been done. Michael. Yeah, to just ratify Eric's point on this, the, the quick answer would be, well, this is a complex problem, and this is like turning an ocean liner, that it has to be gradual. Well, Eric just laid out the timeline for us. Uh, it's quite clear that they have had discussion after discussion and commission after commission and another committee and then another committee, and nothing's getting done. And so people are justifiably frustrated with this, and the problem continues to grow. My concern also is, Dave, that the when even when it comes to crime, that it always seems to be it's uh, issues. If, it, if there's any fixes, it's about how police are hired. Uh, can they live in the city? Uh, we got to get rid of the police chief. I mean, it always seems to be nibbling around the edges or a change to the police board rather than actually reducing homicides. Well, well, that's true, and I think in part, Nick, that's because everyone is grasping for a solution, any solution that might bring the homicide rate down. And as Lisa and, and Michael and, and Eric have all explained, that's very difficult to do. And there have been lots of important, intelligent people studying it for many years, and they haven't come up with uh, a, a solution yet. Now, in 2014, murders in Kansas City dropped dramatically. And I'm not sure we completely understand why. And so uh, I think there might be something in going back to 2014 and taking a look, Daryl Forte was the chief, and trying to understand what took place that year that hasn't taken place in, say, 2020 or 2021, and maybe apply whatever lessons we were learned in 2014 to the current day. I saw Eric Wesson raise his hand, so I think he has the answer to why that happened. <laughs> no, it's not the answer. It's just... Uh implement implementation of programming was different uh he had uh forte had hot spots so police could respond to areas that uh had a crime violence uh, was high so all of those programs that he implemented i think the next year homicides went up slightly but he was making some adjustments all of those things that he had uh smith did away with it's just none of those things go. And then he implemented a program from another city that geographically is the same, but dynamics and mentality are, are totally different. So he did away with all of those things and implemented something. The question remains is this, why is the chief still there as a the chief? These homicide rates in the black community are outlandish. In any other circumstances, I believe that somebody be calling for a new chief of police, but the chief, the board, for some reason, I was watching one of the board meetings. They were talking about where to buy Ford Explorers. You got 173 homicides, and you're talking about where to buy cars. It's just so insensitive. Michael, uh, that keep, keeps coming up, but is there any evidence today to suggest that the uh, Rick Smith, the police chief, is one, do uh, one step closer to departing police headquarters? I don't think there is, although, uh, to Eric's point here, the uh, the amount of people that are calling at one point or other seems to be growing. Not a lot, but uh, but some. And um, we'll, we'll see on this. Right now, the mayor does not have the political clout on the uh, Board of Police Commissioners to, uh, to win that vote, to force a resignation, and there's no sign that Rick Smith is going to uh, resign. I think he would get support if he just called for a vote. 
I don't know if he if it's within his realm, but at least call for a vote. Let the people see who supports the killing of black lives in the manner that they do. So call for the vote. If it gets uh, defeated, okay, but you're at least exposing who's supporting him. Well, yeah, the problem with that, Eric, is uh, Lucas is going to get probably one attempt at this, and if it doesn't work, then he's going to be out of luck on it. And, uh, you know, uh, he's a good politician. He knows how to count noses, uh, and the votes aren't there. Lots of other news happening this week. Former Kansas City Chiefs assistant coach Britt Reed was charged with a felony drunk driving charge this week, more than two months after his truck plowed into two vehicles on the entrance ramp to I-435. The collision left five-year-old Ariel Young in a coma. The family's attorney says she now has permanent brain damage. An early police report claimed Reed confessed to having two or three drinks before leaving the sports stadium or was taking the prescription drug Adderall. Since then, few details had been shared with the public. Many people were asking, why did it take so long? Did we get a clearer answer to that question this week, Lisa? The prosecutor in announcing her charges this week said that she just received last week the information that she needed from Kansas City police to make this charge. She also said that she, you know, she alluded to Missouri law kind of preventing her from going after uh, a higher charge in this case. But we do have a lot more of the details that we didn't know before. We know about uh, Britt Reed's blood alcohol level. We know how fast he was driving um, just seconds before the crash, somewhere at 80, 83, 84 miles an hour. We do have a lot more information now than we did a week ago. We heard a lot from viewers about this this week. I had an email from Linda who says, did muddy connections and access to one of the Metro's best defense attorneys change the way this case was handled? In essence, Dave Helling, if it was a plumber in Raytown involved in the same situation, would they have experienced the system the same way? Uh... Maybe. I mean, uh, the prosecutor in cases like this, in all cases, wants to take his or her time to make sure the facts are understood and that the evidence is available. And, you know, certainly he has not escaped whatever scrutiny a court will bring to his case or at some point maybe there's some sort of agreement with the prosecutor's office. But there will be more attention paid to this case, Nick, just like there's more attention paid to the Gene Solentrop case down in Topeka because of the nature of the defendant. And so the idea that maybe he'll get off or that Gene Solentrop will get off becomes more problematic in large part because people like Lisa Rodriguez and Michael Mahoney and Eric Wesson are paying attention to the outcome and so it's more difficult for prosecutors to sort of back away. Michael. Yeah, uh, Sam Mellinger had a very insightful piece on this, and he noted in it that he believed that the uh, the Chiefs, uh, Kansas City Chiefs' response to this was, was, was rather empty. He also noted that apparently there's a rule in the NFL that you're not supposed to have uh, alcohol uh, on the premises of the training camps and their facilities, and that hasn't been addressed yet, whether or not that's where... Um, if, if he was drinking, that's where he was drinking. Um, so uh, Solinger's, or Solinger, uh, uh, Mellinger is raising some important points. Eric, though, the highest sentence in the current charges is seven years, but it could be as low as probation. No jail time whatsoever. Right. And I don't believe that his case was handled the same way that they would have handled Joe Citizen's case in a similar situation. Uh, we're talking about what the 
February the 4th, and they're just now bringing charges the middle of April. I think in any other circumstances or situations, they would have got the toxicology reports and probably have filed charges a lot sooner than uh, now. But again, it kind of seems like it's a slap on the wrist. Uh, probably civilly, they'll probably write a really big check for it, but it just kind of seems like it's that. And this isn't his first offense. He's not a first-time offender. Yeah. He's got a history of this thing, uh, drinking and driving and drugs and guns and everything else like that. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this takes place. Well, just again, ratifying Eric today, which is not a bad idea on most days, uh, <laughs> is because this man has a prior record and the record deals with these sorts of issues, I, I think jail time is quite possible. Mm -hmm. Will big sports and big business boycott the state of Kansas over new election law changes and restrictions on transgender athletes? Both bills arrived on Kansas Governor Laura Kelly's desk this week. The ACLU is threatening to sue the state if the transgender athlete ban is enacted. And there are threats that the measures will scuttle NCAA tournaments and even Kansas City's bid to host World Cup soccer games in 2026. But are businesses and sports organizations going to find themselves running out of places to hold events when dozens of states are now enacting similar policies around the country, Lisa? I do. I think that the, the move from the NCAA this week is, is absolutely significant. I think if we recall uh, several years ago when, when legislatures were trying to pass bathroom bills that would have prevented trans uh, people from from using the the bathroom that correlates with their gender identity when when the NCAA and when these businesses come out against that that does make people uh, shake in their shoes a little bit and I think on the Kansas side Governor Kelly uh, has has been very forceful in in denouncing these bills Dave yeah, I, I had a chance to talk with the governor about this subject last week Nick and I think while she is concerned about what the NCAA may or may not do or what Major League Baseball or the World Cup might do. She seems more concerned about the permanent loss of potential companies coming to Kansas because they consider Kansas to be backward or don't want to relocate here. She says, we're look, working very hard to get businesses to move their uh, factories and, and offices to the state on a permanent basis. And if Kansas gets the reputation as being behind the times on things like transgender sports, that's going to be a problem. And if she vetoes that bill, which I think is highly likely, that will be the reason she'll talk about. But Michael, um, so the legislature in Kansas is overwhelmingly Republican. So say the governor does veto either of those bills or both of them. Can't the Republicans in the legislature simply overturn her? If they've got the votes, and it remains uh, to be seen whether or not they do have the votes, back to the question about whether or not um, uh, the nation would run out of spots to hold these events, that's not going to happen. I mean, they may not be uh, uh, NCAA uh, championships in Wichita or regional men's basketball finals in Kansas City, uh, wrestling championships, that, all, all that sort of stuff. There are plenty of other states that are not dealing with these issues in the same way that are more than acceptable uh, to the college uh, sports uh, in industry, and they'll go there. They'll go there in a heartbeat.
Late last week, the Kansas City, Missouri Council approved an emergency measure that would allow up to 500 homeless men and women to leave the streets and stay in several budget hotels for up to 90 days. The deal was intended to finally end two large homeless encampments that had sprung up on the lawn outside of City Hall and across the street from the Westport Entertainment District. We're told that the tents are now gone, but questions still remain. There is concern that the hotel fix is only temporary. Eric Wesson, what happens in 90 days when the money runs out well i'm sure they'll get some more funding for, for for it out of the 100 million or 90 million that they'll give from the government uh beginning this year but here's what's going to be interesting to watch unfold and that's the land bank properties that they're going to be uh, trying to convince for-profit and non-for-profit people to get into to build housing for the homeless or renovate housing for the homeless and most of those properties are in the third district. So are you getting ready to dump a bunch of uh, uh, people that are in the third district, which is already economically stressed, put people in there that are unemployed with mental health issues uh, in that area? So it's going to be interesting to see where these land bank houses come from. Are they going to spread them out third, fifth district, sixth district if they have them, and fourth district? So that's going to be interesting to watch. And, and what companies are going to put fifty or sixty thousand dollars into renovating a property that they don't they won't get their money back out of? You're talking about a two by four now is like eighteen bucks. You know, so Eric is talking about the money then coming from the federal government, a lot of it going to the from the U.S. Housing Department, Lisa, because we actually heard for a lot from viewers saying, oh, no wonder Kansas City can't fill its uh, potholes and we have problems with the city responding to issues uh, because they're paying all this money to put ho homeless into hotels. Yeah, I think I think the the uh, inability to fill potholes or to turn off the fountains um, has more to do with with budget with budget issues in Kansas City's existing budget and how the pandemic has has kind of depleted some of those reserves. The money for for homeless to relocate homeless people even temporarily, um, the mayor has said that that that's federal money that that is different. But again, that is a source of money that is not ongoing. And if we really if the city really wants to tackle um, the issue of people experiencing homelessness in the long term, they need more than a one-time infusion of cash to do it. It has to be a dedicated source of funding for years. And the city uh, this week wants a dedicated housing department, Dave Helling. Right now there's a neighborhood services and housing department. What difference would that make in any way, shape or form? And at a time when there's a hiring freeze at City Hall, uh, why would they want to hire more administrators and add another agency at a time of budget uh, budget problems? Well, of course, A, they don't have budget problems this year, Nick, because the federal government is ladling cash on City Hall. And the idea of having a housing czar or a homelessness czar may make some sense. But let's be real. The, the, the problem of homelessness in Kansas City is as old as I am, or at least has been around as long as I've been in Kansas City. It is much like violent crime. If the answers were easy, we would have addressed them long ago. They are not, whether it's using land bank properties, putting the homeless in hotels, having other structures, uh, you know, Bartle Hall. There are all kinds of temporary patches, but a permanent solution 
very, very difficult to achieve, and it isn't clear what the end game in this case will be. First, it was a shortage of toilet paper during the pandemic. Now, in another remarkable development, Kansas City's Ford plant is shutting down most of the production line this week amid a growing worldwide shortage of computer chips. It's hard to believe such a tiny component of a vehicle would cause so much disruption, disruption rather, but it's devastating the auto industry. Kansas City's General Motors Fairfax plant has halted production until the week of May 10th. The plant in KCK makes the Chevy Malibu sedan and the new Cadillac SUV. How can something, Michael Mahoney, so small be so devastating? What actually is now one of our biggest employers in Kansas City? It is supply and demand, Nick, and it's a fascinating story in the sense that at the beginning of the recession that involved the virus, there was an assumption that the car industry was going to go south. And so the people that make these computer chips decided we're not going to need as many of them. And so they shifted their production gear and they went into gaming console chips. They went into computer chips. And now all of a sudden, the the recession in automobiles and vehicle sales was not as deep as they expected, and they have found themselves short on this. And now they're they're, they're selling cars that don't have all the parts on it. It's a it's a supply and demand story that is just really fascinating. And um, while a lot of these workers on the line are getting three quarters of their pay or so, something like that, they're still not on the job full time. It's a really, really interesting uh, effect of what's been taking place. And what does it mean to me then, um, uh, Lisa Rodriguez? Does that mean it's also going to be harder for me to get a vehicle? It's going to cost me a lot more to get one? I, I think I think it, it very well made. The, you know, this has slowed production of automobiles, not just in Kansas and Missouri um, and in our area, but across the country. And I think that that will result in in higher prices for new cars. While there's been talk for months about companies now requiring workers to be vaccinated in order to come back to the workplace, is a bill gaining momentum in the Missouri legislature going to disrupt those plans? This week, the Missouri House advanced a bill that would ban private businesses from requiring proof of vaccination from either employees or customers. So what are the implications for sports stadiums, companies and concert venues in Kansas City if this is actually implemented, uh, Dave Helling? Well, it means that they'll have to be uh, make some real judgments about whether or not they can open fully to the public, Nick. Um, you know, if you tell baseball uh, clubs, for example, you can't require vaccines, maybe you only let 10,000 people in and not 20 or 25,000 fully vaccinated people. Uh, it, the fascinating thing in this case will be whether Governor Mike Parson decides to veto a bill that would give businesses this uh, this power. You remember last week we talked about this. Parson said, hey, I don't care if businesses want to ban people who aren't vaccinated. And now the legislature is taking it a step further and trying to isolate those businesses. So we'll see what Mike Parson does as this goes forward. We always think about this in terms of big businesses. I'm going to go to the Nelson Atkins or I'm going to go to um, the Kaufman Stadium or Starlight Theater or something like that, which may make sense to do those things. But m most businesses, small business, Michael Mahoney, now they would have to have somebody at the front door of every single business. Doesn't that impose more, regular, uh, more costs on businesses already struggling to survive now that they have somebody policing the vaccination checks? Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's exactly why it's not going to happen. Uh, not in the state of Missouri, not in the state, state of Kansas. Uh, they're going to say, uh, uh, these are the same, this is the same crowd that, uh, that says, let's not have the government pick winners and losers. Uh, it's not going to happen. 
When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every big story making the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? Sporting Kansas City launching their new season, and it's historic. This week marks 25 years since the team's first game. Back then, they were the Wiz. The name later expanded to the Wizards. It's a week that sees more parent challenges over school mask mandates, but no local school board has yet voted to remove them. Muslims here and around the world marking a socially distant Ramadan. We all wrote things that we are grateful for. Another police shooting sparks another plaza protest. And traditionally, we'd be celebrating Fountain Day this week. That's when Kansas City turns on all its famous fountains, but not this year. The Parks Department says budget cuts has forced the agency to save money. The city hopes to turn some fountains back on later this spring or summer. Okay, Lisa Rodriguez, was it one of those stories or something completely different? You know, the, when, you know, the latest police shooting in Minnesota brought some small protests out in Kansas City, but I think that is something that we're going to have to continue to watch. I think that, that the pain and the anger over that is only growing, and we also have the ongoing trial of, of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who, who knelt on the neck of, um, of George Floyd almost, almost a year ago, still ongoing. I think tensions there are, are simmering, and people are watching that closely. So I, I, that's, that, that was my pick for this week. Eric Wesson. I, I agree with Lisa, but I also, uh, the young man that got killed by the police officer there in the same state of Minnesota, uh, that is going to be something that's going to escalate as well. Even though the officer was charged with the homicide or involved second degree or third degree manslaughter, I think that that's still something that's going to be watching as uh, the Black Lives Movement comes back alive again. Michael Mahoney. The bid to uh, get live music and arts going once again has been uh, derailed, and it's been derailed uh, because of an Obamacare-style screw-up by the federal government. This uh, Save Our Shuttered Venues uh, grants that were supposed to be open, when they opened that portal, there were so many people who applied, it collapsed. It, it is still closed right now. It's going to be probably closed for at least another seven days, and so the ability to have music and concerts and live events is on the sidelines now until that gets resolved and it's going to be a bit. Dave. Rick Raber, the Missouri Republican from the 34th District in the House, resigned this week. Last fall, his children, his adult children, accused Raber of abuse, physical and sexual. When they were kids, he denied it. He said the Ethics Committee in the House would vindicate him. Instead, the Ethics Committee this week called his behavior heinous, promised a full report, and said he was not fit to serve in the legislature, and he decided to resign. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez and Channel 9's Michael Mahoney from the star Dave Helling, and always on call from the Kansas City call, Eric Wesson. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.